Hello, everyone. We are back. Idaho State Journal Sports Podcast, episode number six. Andrew, is that what we're on now? I'm honestly not sure, Madison. They all start to blend <laughs> together when you're just as good at podcasting as we are. Like, it's tough to differentiate them, you know? We are at least half a dozen podcasts in, so we're, we're off and running. Uh, back to you on Monday afternoon. And we've got lots to talk about. We'll uh, kind of look back on ISU's football game against Utah last weekend. We'll look ahead to the Bengals at Northern Iowa this weekend. Uh, we're going to unveil our inaugural first-time Big Sky football power rankings this week. Right, which I'm not sure is going to be a consistent thing for us or not, but I, it was an interesting week in the Big Sky, so we're just going to kind of check in on that with uh, conference play getting started for some teams next week. So, And then we will talk a little bit about Taysom Hill on the New Orleans Saints. Uh, his situation is getting interesting over there, and I'll also look back on um, what may be, end up being the most exciting high school football game of the season. So let's start out. ISU went down to then number 11 ranked Utah in Salt Lake City on Saturday. Uh, Utah came away with a 35 nothing victory over the Bengals. Andrew 31. Ha- it was 31 nothing. Okay. 31 nothing because they held them to a field goal on the first drive. Okay. 31 nothing Utah. Andrew Houghton was there. Um, he wrote two stories from that game. They were both in Sunday's print edition and they're Obviously still online at IdahoStateJournal.com. Andrew, kind of uh, break down your observations and what you saw from the Bengals. Yeah, well, um, it was kind of as we expected, as you would expect from from seeing those two teams line up. Uh, Pretty easy and comfortable uh, blowout win for Utah in the end. Uh, The Utes scored on their first four drives. um, Big touchdown plays. We're up 24-0 at half and, and kind of, you know, Stepped off the gas pedal a little bit after that. Utah's starting quarterback got one drive in the second half. That was another touchdown drive um, that pushed it to 31 nothing. And then after that, you know, you're seeing a lot of second and third string for Utah in there. So, you know, just a kind of a typical FBS versus FCS game there. Um, a lot of positives, I think, to take away from for Idaho State, which uh, we'll talk about. The, the real negatives, the real things that they struggled with, um, a lot of missed tackles, a lot of missed tackles against the Utah first string especially. Um, you know, I t- talked to Cody Graves after the game. He said, well, that's something we cleaned up in the second half. Well, yeah, Zach Moss wasn't in the game anymore, you know, by that time, which, you know, not that they're going to face anybody the caliber of Zach Moss in their big sky schedule, but, you know, still an issue. I mean, in the first half, the first guy wasn't bringing down the Utah ball carry on, on any play, regardless of whether they were getting run through, juke, they needed to get two or three guys to the spot. And I thought they were doing a decent job of, you know, flowing to the ball and getting people there. But a lot of missed tackles led to a lot of missed, uh, big plays for Utah. That was one thing. And then on, on offense, the other thing, I mean, they just couldn't get the wide receivers open and couldn't deliver the ball to them when they were. Um, you know, they, they didn't have a, a pass completed to a wide receiver until the third quarter, you know, early in the third quarter. I think they completed nine passes all game. Four of those were to Austin Campbell. Um, shout out to Austin Campbell, the, the big senior tight end, four catches for 33 yards, uh, career high catches for him. Um, but, you know, four, four of those were to him. A couple others were, you know, little jet sweeps to Mikey Dean, which is a completed pass, but you're pitching the ball a foot forward, you know, so... So that's tough. Um, you know, Mitch Guller didn't have a catch. Tanner Connor had, had one catch, I think. So that was uh, really disheartening to see. And when they, they can't do that, obviously, they 
they have trouble moving the offense, and that's that's really what happened. I mean, they were held to, I think they got over 100 yards by the end of the game. 116. 116 yards, but they were under 100 yards until their, their final drive of the game. Yeah, and that's, you know, probably the biggest takeaway, I think, is, you know, no one expected ISU to go score 40 points at Utah. They've got one of the best defenses maybe uh, in the FBS, but nine first downs, 1.4 yards per rush. They were 10 of 23 passing, 116 yards of offense. Uh, they didn't really ever threaten to score. I, yeah, I think, think they got to the, I think I put this in my gamer, the, the farthest they got was to the Utah 42, so it's not yeah. like they, they missed a field goal or anything or, or really threatened. Right. Um, and, you know, maybe, I don't know if it's time, if it's, you know, if that's a serious thing that ISU needs to be worried about going forward. Utah's the best team they're going to play by far this year. Certainly. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, Another good point is, you know, ISU has been in a lot of just kind of basic formations. They probably haven't opened up their playbook a whole lot yet because they don't want Northern Iowa and other teams to really see what they've got. So, uh, I don't know, Andrew, what, what, what do you kind of make of ISU's offense through two games and, and what you've seen, and can we expect different plays and different looks this week against Northern Iowa? Yeah, in terms of the playbook, I mean, um, we've got some questions about that. I, I asked Rob Fennessy about that after the Utah game. I mean, they've been in, like I said, 11 personnel the whole time. You know, one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. They showed a couple different looks against Utah out of that out of that personnel that they didn't um, against Western Colorado. You know, they had Austin Campbell in the backfield um, mm. for next to Ty Flanagan, you know, one either side of Struck in the shotgun for for a two-back look kind of with the tight end back there. That's what they opened the game with. They get some yardage off of that. They would also, you know, they can split Campbell out wide, so it looks like a four-wide receiver look. They did that a couple times. They can split him and send Flanagan in motion out wide. They had, you know, five-wide empty backfield look, but it wasn't because they're, they're getting four or five receivers on the field. It's because they're motioning guys out of there. So I think partially it is because neither of these first two games mean all that much. Right. You don't want to show too much out of the playbook. You know, you don't want to you don't want to put stuff on tape for your later opponents who you're playing with, you know, maybe playoff seeding on the line, you know, maybe a winning season on the line, stuff like that. Yeah. And going back going to the quarterbacks, both quarterbacks played uh for the first time this season. Matt Struck started, went 3 of 6. For 28 yards, Gunnar Amos uh, back to came in in relief duty, seven of 17, 52 yards, and an interception. Um, first time we saw Amos this season. Yeah, that. Might Why be... was that, and what did you think of the way the two quarterbacks played for ISU? Well, the first time I think Gunnar came in on the the fourth drive, fourth or fifth drive of the game for ISU. I you know I talked to Rob Pensy after the game. He says that's something that we wanted to do. That's something that we had planned for um, whatever reason, you know, to get Gunnar Amos some action, probably, yeah. Um, and I don't know what their plan was after that because the drive after that, Matt Struck took a really hard shot in the end zone. Um, the, the Utah guy was called for targeting. Uh, Struck came out right after that play. Didn't return to the game. It was Gunnar Amos the rest of the way. So I don't know what they would have done the rest of the way. Yeah. The injury kind of forced their hand a little bit. Going back to the playbook, you know, I think that might be another reason why they've sort of kept it simple with the personnel. With you know, regardless of who's playing quarterback, somebody who's never taken you know, Struck's never taken a snap in a game for Idaho State before. Mm -hmm. Gunnar Amos barely has. So you know, keep it simple for those guys. The other thing, just to finish off, you know, sort of the thoughts about the playbook. Rob Fennessey basically said, like, yeah, this is who we want to be. This is who how we want to beat teams. 
is in this formation, and we think that we can, you know, beat teams, move the ball in this formation without, you know, sort of moving people around and doing gimmicky stuff. You know, he said that, of course, they'll be a little bit more multiple later in the season. You know, they they can't do the two-back formation as much as they could last year when they had James Madison and Flanagan, but I think certainly you'll see some two-back formations with, with Sojanasu and, and Flanagan. I think... I think their personnel sets up really well for them to, to run some two tight end formations mm-hmm. with, with Campbell and, you know, Jake Johnson in there maybe, um, stuff like that, four-wise. So I think we'll see a little bit more of that. But, you know, I think if, if Rob Fennessey and Mike Ferreter had their way, they wouldn't ever get out of that formation. They, they don't really think they need to. There's a lot more we could get into on this game, but we're going to move on to uh... – ISU's game this upcoming Saturday at ninth-ranked Northern Iowa. I believe they're ninth-ranked in the in the most recent media poll. Um, that's what I saw. Yeah, that's what I yeah. saw this morning. Northern Iowa. So that's that's the, so clearly very good uh, FCS team. They're going to be on the road in a domed environment. So that should be you know probably the best atmosphere ISU's been in this season. Uh, Andrew, any initial thoughts on that matchup? Yeah, Northern Iowa is a really tough team. I mean, that's, I mean, obviously, they're ranked that high. They're a team that came into the season sort of, um, people didn't, didn't really know what they were going to be. They were ranked, um, I think they were, you know, the back of the top 20. They were maybe yeah. like 18th or something coming into the season. You know, people knew that they had a lot of talent. That's a program that's been, you know, consistently above average to, to really good um, under Mark Farley, who's been there for forever. Um, but people didn't didn't really know what they had, and they've, you know, they've really answered those questions pretty emphatically, you know, from taking Iowa State to overtime and in their season opener. They've gotten a couple of, you know, FCS wins since then. I think they deserve to be ranked where they are. It's going to be really difficult um, for Idaho State to go in there and, you know, come out with a win to compete with them. Um, there was some injury news on you and I that broke uh, this morning, I believe. Yeah, uh, tight end Briley Moore, who's a – you know, gigantic guy, all-American caliber tight end, uh, NFL prospects for sure. Um, big, you know, fast, strong, great pass catching tight end, good blocker. Uh, sounds like he's going to be out for a while after an injury he sustained for them um, last weekend. So I, I would not expect to see him play against Idaho State, which is certainly good for the Bengals. That'll help, um, you know, because the big thing with Northern Iowa is they've got a redshirt freshman quarterback, Will, Will mm-hmm. McIlvain, um, who came in. He won a quarterback competition in the fall. He's come in. He's been really good. Um, you know, they've moved the ball well with him in there. He's a little bit of a dual-threat guy. You know, he can run the ball. Um, I think he was the MVFC Offensive Player of the Week after this last mm-hmm. week. Um, but, you know, taking away his big big tight end, big safety blanket over the middle, especially for a young quarterback, you know, could, could really have an impact on their offense. And obviously just kind of a – an interesting side note on that game, Rob Fennessy coached at UNI for about a week back in uh, 2016 before he was hired as the head coach at Idaho State. I don't think that's going to be a factor. I don't think there's going to be any emotional um, ties with that as there will be for the Montana game, but an interesting little side note. Yeah, and, yeah, and he wouldn't really say anything about that in the in the press conference today. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's really weighing on his mind all that much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else on Northern Iowa or, you know, what, what you expect to see 
from ISU, obviously, it sounds like the quarterback situation, we maybe aren't sure because we don't know if Matt Strzok's healthy or what his status is. Right, that's the big question for Idaho State this week. Um, you know, if, if Strzok comes back and he's he's cleared to play and he's able to play, I would expect him probably to be the guy. You yeah. know, Gutter Amos, obviously, it's tough asking him to come in against Utah and, and show stuff. And he had a couple good throws, um, and they moved the offense, you know, here and there with him in the game. The same, the same way they did with Struck in the game, but I don't think he, you know, blew anybody's doors off um, in that game. So Struck's healthy. I think that's the guy who they want to be the guy. Um, now, you know, obviously, if, if he can't go, it'll be Gunnar Amos. I think if it gets really hazy if Struck is, you know, sort of not 100% or, you know, gets cleared late in the week, maybe doesn't practice early in the week, uh, maybe doesn't have all those reps in practice this week, you know, as far as Struck's injury, I'm not. I'm not sure exactly what it is. He didn't look awful on the sideline. Um, you know, he is walking around the sideline. You know, hel- holding his helmet. Um, you know, standing up down near the end of the bench. I didn't really see him getting all that much treatment. So I don't know whether it was a precautionary issue to keep him out the rest of the game, or whether he just medically wasn't cleared to go back in. But yeah, I mean, I think it could get a little bit hazy if he. You know, still feeling a little bit under the weather at the end of the week if he hasn't been cleared to practice this week, stuff like that. Um, that's that's the big question for Idaho State because that's what, you know, the whole offense sort of rests on. Uh, anything else on that game or should we move to our Big Sky Power Rankings? We should probably move on. Um, okay. I'll, I'll have, you know, a bunch of previews. We'll yeah. have a story in the paper tomorrow just about how they're sort of approaching this game, you know, the first FCS game they're playing in this season. Um, of course, I'll have you know players to watch for for Northern Iowa, general preview later in the week. So just watch out for that stuff. All right, our first Big Sky Power Rankings of the season, uh, Andrew. I was when I was making these, I thought it was interesting. I think there are three pretty clear tiers of teams in the Big Sky right now. Um, I had the o- the only non ISU Big Sky game I have watched this season is Montana and Oregon on Saturday. That was right. that was kind of a little fun uh, matchup between our alma maters. But other than that, you know, I, I'm basically just going off of stats for these rankings and off of who has beaten whom. So uh, that's where I'm at. Why don't you give me uh, your, I don't know, top three or four, and we'll kind of we'll, we'll discuss. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the first tier is pretty much the same as it, as it was in the preseason. Um, the, the one movement there is that I... You know, I think Montana sort of really solidified themselves as a member of that tier, as the as the the fifth team in the top mm-hmm. tier. Um, with you know, they they played well against Oregon. They lost thirty five to three. They moved the ball at times. Um, you know, I think everybody kind of came away pretty impressed with the Grizz from that performance. Of course, they have the win over South Dakota in week one, mm-hmm. um, and then they destroyed North Alabama in week two. So those are two pretty solid wins on the FCS level. And then to go into Austin Stadium and, you know, not not hang with the Ducks, but to, to show some stuff against the Ducks was really impressive. So I think they're a part of the top five now with Montana State, Weber, UC Davis, Eastern Washington. The big thing this week, of course, was Eastern Washington went down to Jacksonville State and uh, in a pretty crazy game, uh, lost 49-45, gave up a big fourth quarter lead. Um, you know, Jacksonville State scored 21 unanswered in the fourth quarter to beat uh, Eastern, who was ranked fourth in the country before that. Uh, they're down to like 11th now. Mm. That's uh, a pretty big fall. Right. And Jacksonville pretty State is loss. now 10th. in the top 10. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's the big shakeup, and that's kind of why I wanted to do this because we, we haven't had a shakeup yeah. uh, in the conference yet this year. 
the question for you is, I mean, does that knock Eastern off the top spot in the conference power rankings? Yeah, I have Weber State as uh, number one this week. Um, I I don't know if they're far and away number one, but I I, I think that I, it wasn't a hard choice for me to give them number one. I mean, they've they've played. Where are my notes on Weber State here? So op- opening week, they lost six nothing against San Diego State. Went down and beat Cal Poly pretty good, 41-24, and then last week lost at Nevada 19-13. Um, their defense is really, really good. In, in three games, they've given up two offensive scores. Um, one of those – or sorry, three offensive scores. Two of those were against Cal Poly and one against Nevada. So against two Mountain West opponents, they've totaled one touchdown allowed on defense. That's, that's really impressive. Um, not really sure if Weaver's – Offense is great. I mean, they did score 41 at or against Cal Poly, um, but they don't have great offensive stats, and part of that could be because they played two Mountain West opponents. Right. Yeah, this is the I, – I'm happy to hear you say that because I think I've got Weber State at number one too, and it just comes down to those top three teams, Weber, Eastern, UC Davis, which were the top three teams before the season, quarterfinalists in the FCS a year ago. We can discuss if they're still the top three teams now. Among those teams, they all have, you know, really great units on one side of the ball and then a lot of question marks mm-hmm. on the other side of the ball. You know, Eastern Washington, one of the most explosive offenses. Eastern Washington and UC Davis both. Some of the most explosive offenses in the entire FCS. Just a lot of questions on the other side of the ball. I mean, giving up that huge lead to a good Jacksonville State team. But that raised a lot of questions about Eastern Washington's defense. You know, people are talking, you know, they're soft. Why couldn't they close that game out? Stuff like that. And then, you know, Davis as well. I think I feel a little bit better about Davis's defense than Eastern's defense. You know, they, they held Cal to, I think, 27 um, yeah. in week one. But also, I mean, to, to barely beat that, that University of San Diego team the next week where they were, they were saved on the goal line, that's not a particularly good win. Um, you know, USD is Pioneer League champion playoff team, usually not usually the same caliber as the teams in the big sky. That was a, that was a really tricky, tricky win for me. So I think that, and of, of course, Weber State's offense is, you know, nobody knows if they can score. Right. They're down to their backup quarterback already, Caden Jenks, um, after Jake Constantine got hurt pretty badly um, against Cal Poly. Hmm. Um yeah. Who you know, um, Jay Hill is not not very pleased with his offense after Nevada. Mm. If you look at his his press conference quotes um, after that game, but I think out of all the the units that they're good at, I'm I'm more confident in Weaver's defense being just absolute top of the line, yeah. unbeatable than I am Eastern's offense or UC Davis's offense. So yeah. I think I'd have Weaver number one too. Yeah, so my my top five real quick, Weber State number one. I actually have UC Davis at number two ahead of Eastern um, for, for the simple fact that it's probably almost a tie, but I give Dan Hawkins an advantage in coaching. UC Davis also has eight sacks, which is tied for second in the biggest guy. So their defense might be a little bit, better, a little bit ahead of Eastern's at this point. Um, Eastern number three, I have Montana State four, Montana five. That was really hard for me too. I think those that's going to be quite the battle when they, uh, when they play their end of the season r- rivalry game. Yeah, that's um, that's the same order I've got. Like you said, I, I'm a little bit more confident in Davis's defense than, mm-hmm. than Eastern's right now. And you know, there's a little bit of recency bias. Eastern taking a loss this mm-hmm. past week. Sure. I don't want to have them second. So I've got Weber, Davis, 
Eastern, for me, the big question is whether Montana State's done enough to jump into that top three. Yeah. And I think it's really close between them and, honestly, Eastern and Davis. And that's mm. sort of reflected in the in the rankings this week. I think they're eighth this week, so they're ahead of Eastern. I'm not sure if they're a better team than Eastern. Montana State struggled um, this week with, uh, with Western Illinois. I believe they won 21-13 or... 22-13, something like that, but, you know, really struggled to put away, again, a, a decent FCS team. Um, you know, if, they, if they'd if blown them out, I probably would have them ahead of Eastern, but it, it's just tough. Um, and, of course, the, the Cats do have the best win among all those teams beating Southeast Missouri State a week before. That was like a number 13 versus number 12 matchup, and, you know, Montana State won pretty handily, so that's a point in their favor. I still think they're really good. Obviously, Casey Bauman hasn't been great at quarterback for them, but I still think they're comfortably ahead of Montana, and they're really, really pushing up on the, you know, Eastern Davis, even Weaver. Those other teams have all showed flaws like they have. Um, but I think I would have the the top five in the same order as you do. Now, the sixth spot is really the the sort of the first kind of questionable spot. There's a lot of teams going for that spot. Yeah, and I actually have spot six and seven as their own tier here. Um, I have Northern Arizona six and Sac State seventh. Uh, Northern Arizona has a, a really good offense. They've got Case Cook is back um, under center, and he's he's having a good year. Um, also, a pretty interesting stat, they've attempted 113 passes, NAU has as a team, only giving up two sacks. So pretty good offensive line play, pretty good job by the quarterbacks of getting the ball to the open man, pretty good job by the wide receivers of getting open. So they're, they're clicking on offense. Um, I don't know what – I think their defense is not great. Um, they hung with Arizona. They beat Missouri State and Western New Mexico. Um, so, not not sure if they're you know those opponents are kind of all over the map in terms of their skill level. But I yeah I have any at six right now. Okay, and then why Sac State right behind them? Sac State at seven. Um, the thing that jumps out when you look at Sac State, where are my notes on them? I mean, they they pounded Northern Colorado fifty to nothing this week. I think that was they a did, no, yeah. that, that was a non conference game against a Big Sky opponent but uh that's that's pretty impressive sac state in the past hasn't been you know a, a really explosive offense but scoring 50 on unc is impressive they they blew out southern oregon which is an naia school so probably can't take much from that and then they hung with arizona state 19 to 7 in a loss arizona state is ranked this week in the fbs media poll or the, the ap poll um so and that's what that's what was interesting with a lot of these, you know, the bottom half of my power rankings is that a lot of these teams have played, you know, one D2 school, one, like, big-time FBS school, and then, like, someone else. And so it's just hard to gauge kind of where they're at because they played opponents all over the map. Right, yeah, it's still a little bit early to be doing these power rankings. This is, like, the first week, though, that we could, you know, rationally do it because before this it's just a mess with the opponents all over the map usually these teams now have played you know at least one other fcs team that we can kind of look at um i like that as a middle tier those two those two schools probably have you know the two best quarterbacks mm -hmm. outside outside the top five with case cook is at northern arizona kevin thompson at sac state and thompson sorry to interrupt is actually first in total offense in the big sky he's yeah. a, he's a monster he's man good. yeah um yeah i think i'm i'm not super confident in either of those teams yet um just because i, I mean for northern arizona flatly 
I don't know if Case Cook is going to stay healthy. Yeah. He hasn't for like the past three years. You know, he'll he'll start the season or he'll get some games in, and then, you know, he's gone for the year. And I just can't. I I'm I'm really rooting for him. I'm hoping he stays healthy. Um, he's a great great player. I just you know can't really guarantee. You know, when I'm thinking about these rankings for the rest of the season, I don't know if he's going to stay healthy. And if he's not, they're a bottom tier team in the conference. I think. Mm. Um, and then. You know, Sac State, uh, they're good. But again, new coach this year with Troy Taylor coming in. There's just a, a lot of questions around them. I think I would probably have them ahead of Northern Arizona right now. Um, but I mm. would have them sixth, Northern Arizona seventh, probably Portland State eighth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and just a couple more things on Sac. First in rushing offense, lead they lead the big sky with five interceptions. They're 13 to 15 in the red zone. So their offense is really good, but... One game was against an NAIA school. Another was against Northern Colorado, which uh, is at the very bottom of, of my ranking. So I don't think, I don't yeah, think they're very good. That's also um, a correct take. Northern Colorado is yeah. not good. Um, and, then, and then after that, my, my, my third tier is just 8 through 13. And that, that was tough because a lot of those teams, as I've been saying, have played like a Power 5 team and a D2 team and maybe like an FCS team. or So it's just really hard to gauge where kind of where they're at. And I had a hard time making those. But... I have uh, Cal Poly 8th, Portland State 9th. Okay. Yeah. So I've got Portland State 8th, probably Cal Poly 9th. Um, so, okay, so that leaves, I and mean, I'm sure we've both got Northern Colorado and Southern Utah down at the bottom. That leads us to kind of an interesting question here. Who'd you, who'd you have higher out of the two Idaho teams? So I had ISU 10th, um, and then I actually had Southern Utah 11th, Idaho 12th, UNC 13th. So you're yeah. you're not a believer in Idaho right now. Idaho played Wyoming very close. They did, yeah. Idaho was a hard team to rank. Um, you know, they they played Wyoming tough. They also almost lost to D two Central Wyoming or Central Washington last week. Right. Central so, Washington's a very good D two school. For sure. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, they. I don't think Idaho's defense is very good. They only have two. They've only their defense only has two sacks, and they've given up fourteen sacks. Uh, but they wow. also played. Wow, that's yeah. a lot in three games. Fourteen sacks. That's a lot. Yes. Wow. Um, but they also opened their season against. Penn State, and they're really good. So, like, it's it, it's just tough to take anything from those stats. I haven't watched Idaho play. Um, you know, the stats say they're second in pass defense, but they've hardly been thrown on because teams have just run against them a lot. Wyoming also mostly runs. Yeah, they played last week. So, Idaho's tough, uh, but I haven't I haven't also seen anything that makes me be like, oh wow, like they are a good team. You know Interesting I mean? that you still have them behind Southern Utah still. I yeah. I would have them ahead of Southern Utah. Um, I might have them ahead of Idaho State just because Idaho mm. State hasn't shown anything yet. Idaho State hasn't gotten the chance to show anything yet. But, you know, Idaho at least, you know, played Wyoming close, and that's something that you can point at and say, well, there's good things happening with this team at least. Yeah, uh, and Southern Utah and ISU is almost a, a tie for me. Um, Southern Utah lost 34-14 against Northern Iowa, which I right, which Idaho went, State plays this week. They went down thirty four nothing in that game, and then they came and they scored two. They scored two kind of garbage time touchdowns. So, so d- depending on how ISU does against you and I, that'll kind of be the barometer, maybe of like, okay, is ISU ahead or behind of SUU? Uh, sounds like I'm a little bit higher on them than you are on yeah. Southern Utah. That is, yeah, and like, yeah. and and so the Utah stats, nothing really jumps off the page. They're just kind of middle of the road in everything. They lost to UNLV. Beat Stephen F. Austin forty-five to thirty-eight last overtime, week. I believe, in, in overtime. Stephen F. Austin, and that was yeah. a game they were favored by multiple touchdowns. Interesting. And, and, okay. and Stephen F. Austin took them to overtime, which you know, 
again, I, we're all still sort of waiting for more evidence on these teams. Um, yeah, and so then Utah's weird because they're just kind of hanging out isolated in Cedar City. No one talks about them. They're just right. They just kind of exist. But every once in a while, they're really good and they win the Big Sky. So yeah, you I mean, just the, never there know. are years when they fly under the radar and win the Big Sky Conference Championship, and there are years when they fly under the radar and win one game like they yeah, did last right. year, uh, which is, you know, kind of interesting. Um, I've said it before, I like I liked Mario Warren as a coach, but, you know, I need to see more more from them before I move them up out of the basement with Northern Colorado. Um, that was good, though. Guys, let us know um, if you like that. Let us know if we're wrong or right, if you've got a different opinion, um, and let us know if you want to hear more Big Sky Power Rankings in the future. Uh, let's move on from there, I think, probably to, to prep football, where, where you were at a, an instant classic game last Friday. Great game. Uh, not only was it a just an exciting game that came down to the very last play, but it was Pocatello against Century. They're obviously big inner-city rivals. That was each team's first conference game of the year, so big implications. Um, Pocatello got up. They were up 24-7 to entering the fourth quarter. Um and the first play of the fourth quarter was actually an interception thrown by Century quarterback Nate Manning. So at that point, it looked like Century's chances were pretty bleak. But Javon Soule had a 77-yard punt return touchdown, and then I think two of Century's next three offensive plays went for long touchdowns. And just like that, they were they were in the lead. It was absolutely crazy. Uh, it came down to Pokey missing a 44-yard field goal as time expired, so a 26-24 win for Century in a... A thrilling game, a heartbreaker for one team, awesome for the other, obviously. But, uh, yeah, very happy I got to watch that one in person last week. Yeah, I, just beyond, um, you know, sort of what happened in that game, I mean, you're the you're the prep football guru. Did that change those teams' outlooks for you in, in either direction after that game? Um, you know, I think a theme for Pokey so far is that they're good. I think they're certainly better than I thought they were. They're be- better than a lot of people probably thought they were. Uh, Jaden Downs has exceeded my expectations as a first-year quarterback. He's very athletic, um, makes some smart plays. I think he's only thrown one interception through three games. He's, I think he's their leading rusher as well. Um, he's, he's, been, he's been impressive. Um, I just think Pokey's so thin numbers-wise that they just kind of run out of gas late in the game, and that's, that's probably cost them so far. Um, and then Century, I think they they showed once again that they can absolutely just score at a moment's notice if they want to. And you saw a little bit of a little bit of that two weeks ago against Idaho Falls. Um, but, but like I said, they scored twice in three plays late in the game to come back and take the lead. So I think they just kind of affirm that their offense is really explosive, which is fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was Travis Hobson was he? Uh, you know, he after after their game against Idaho Falls, he was kind of super not happy yeah. with with how slow his team started i mean yeah did you get that after the this one exactly the same he was like man we played really bad for three quarters then we had one quarter that was like pretty darn good uh we need to play good for four quarters instead of one we need to get going faster um so that seems to be a common theme with him as well um yeah you can't fall behind 24 7 most of the time and, and win they that, yeah that's something that i think you've really got to watch for century as they you know I don't know what their expectations are for this year, but that's eventually going to come back to bite them in the butt if yeah. if they keep doing that. And from what I heard from Travis Hobson, it does sound like it's kind of a little bit of a theme for them. For sure, so, yeah. Um, any other uh, real quick prep football sort of uh, you know takeaways from this weekend for you? So I also watched Highland's game against Twin Falls. That was the first game of the Friday night doubleheader at Holt Arena. Um, they beat Twin Falls, I think it was 39-3 to or 39-7. to 
39-0 maybe even. Uh, I don't think I, I, I don't think I don't think Twin Falls is very good. I think Highland knew that, and I think they were they kind of just took what they got on offense. You know, they didn't take a whole lot of shots downfield. They just kind of dinked and dunked their way down, which is not super exciting. But Highland does it really effectively. Um, right when your defense yeah. is that good, you yeah, know, you don't need to hit the big plays. And Highland's defense is really good. They've officially, you know, cemented that status. I think through three games. Um, and yeah, I still think Highland's going to be a really tough out. They didn't have defensive end Kamai Olsen in that game. Um, okay. He has he has an injury, so I don't know what his status is. It sounds like he will probably be out um, at least one more week. But that you know should be an exciting week of prep football again. We've got Pokey Century in the annual Black and Blue Bowl. That's always fun. It's been pretty one sided over the over the last se- several years. But what? Not Pokey Century. Pokey Highland, I'm sorry. Okay, there in we the, go. In the annual Black and Blue Bowl, been pretty one-sided over the years, but back in the day, that was uh, one of the best football rivalries in the state. So that'll be fun. Everyone watches that game, even though, you know, Highland will be favored to win it, obviously. So uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on, New Orleans Saints quarterback Drew Brees expected to miss six weeks. Yeah, um, the he only... can't hold the football right now, which is a problem if you're an yeah. NFL quarterback. And that's obviously interesting around these parts because Taysom Hill, who went to Highland and went to BYU, he is officially the third string quarterback, but he plays a lot on special teams. He's kind of a Swiss Army knife gadget player on offense. He'll be in at running back and tight end and wide receiver. And he does all kinds of cool stuff and he's very fun to watch. So obviously we don't know if he's going to get an opportunity to be a full-time quarterback at any point with Breeze out. Uh, at the very least, his current role will stay as is, and he'll you know get a lot of looks on offense and special teams. And if Teddy Bridgewater struggles as a starter, then Hill's the next man up as of right now, unless the Saints bring somebody else in. So that's kind of exciting for a local kid to you know maybe get a shot. Yeah, I like mean, that. and and Taysom Hill, I from he was really outplaying Teddy Bridgewater in sort of the mop up minutes in the preseason. You know, yeah. Teddy Bridgewater was really struggling in the preseason, and. and Taysom Hill came in and he was effective, you know, against, you know, second, third stringers, whatever. But um, he was very effective both throwing the ball, running the ball as a quarterback in the preseason. Um, so that's something to watch. I would imagine that Bridgewater probably gets to start next week. Yeah. But, you know, this isn't a one or two week injury for Drew Brees. If he's out for half the season, you know, there's going to be time for some maneuvering among, yeah, exactly. among Bridgewater and Hill. And, you know, Taysom Hill will probably have the chance to prove himself. Yeah, I went on a, a Saints fans Reddit page, and it the, it was actually titled um, a petition to start Taysom Hill next week over Bridgewater. I think, I don't know, I don't know a lot about diehard Saints fans, but it seems like a lot of them really like Taysom Hill, but they also know that he could be really boom or bust, really high ceiling, also a pretty low floor, and Bridgewater is kind of that stabilizing, like, you know what you're going to get, safer play. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um Checking real quick on the other ISU sports, ISU soccer got its first win over the weekend. Uh, podcast favorite Carlin Wurlitzer <laughs> with the absolute nails penalty kick in overtime uh, to walk off St. Mary's at Davis Field 2-1 to one in overtime there. Um, then, of course, they went on the road to Missoula, Montana and lost 3-1 to Cal Poly. I don't think they were particularly good in that game. I don't think uh, Coach Debs Brereton was particularly happy after that game. It seemed kind of like a step back um, for me after the St. Mary's game. 
ISU Volleyball also had a tough weekend. I think they went over to Pullman. Is that right? Washington State, yeah. Yeah, and lost to Liberty, lost to Washington State. And then uh, the finale, they had a chance to salvage. Uh, They went up two sets against UT Arlington Hmm. and uh, lost the next three to lose that match as well, which is uh, tough for ISU Volleyball. Both those teams heading down the stretch now towards starting conference play. Um, So we'll we'll try to bring you some more coverage of that. Anything else that tennis? Did you remember what the tennis score was for ISU? Uh, I don't remember. I do know that tennis started their season. I think the women's golf team starts their season this week. So lots going on. The ISU softball team also started fall ball. I think they played Salt Lake on Sunday. Yep. So uh, lot, lots going on. We'll, it's we'll an t- exciting, busy time. It is, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll touch on as much as we can next week. All right. Have a good week, guys.